Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is your host, Matt Chatham, not joined this week by Brady Quinn. Unfortunately, Brady's down with his old coach, Charlie Weiss, my old coach at the East-West Shrine game, doing some coaching down there. But instead, we've got a special guest, Nick Ferguson, sort of the perfect time, perfect place with the Broncos coming up. Nick played the NFL for a decade, a big chunk of that with the Broncos. You know this Broncos team well, Nick. Uh, give us a little insight of how those guys are feeling going to this huge championship game. Well, I think they're playing with a uh, lot of confidence. They feel really confident right now. And I think the fact of having Peyton Manning back, it definitely changes a lot of things, uh, Matt. I mean, Brock Osweiler, we can say what we want to say about him being the future of the Denver Broncos. But uh, you, you know at this stage of the game, you need someone on the center who has that level of experience and who can match wit for wit with the opposing quarterback. And you talk about the opposing quarterback being Tom Brady, you definitely need a guy on the center who can you know, make, make those adjustments at, at the line of scrimmage. So the guy is feeling really confident and really relaxed, but you notice as well, you can feel relaxed during a regular week and week of preparation, but once game time starts, you got to make sure that you're playing loose and you don't have what, what we like to call those, that, that tight area. You don't want to play tight. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, it's such a it's such a cool area out there. I know I know New England fans uh, don't have a lot of love for Denver just because they have a poor history there, especially in playoff games. But right. it is sort of an up it is an upbeat area out there. I love the city of Denver. I love even as a as an opponent going and playing in that stadium. It's one of the cooler venues in the NFL. It gets loud. It, it gets rocking. I don't personally think that'll have much effect in the outcome of the game. But I have an under you know, I like the idea that Denver's one of the more premier teams in the league and franchises quite frankly and them being in this competition going against new england it's it's a couple of the a couple of the top dogs going at it and i love that uh i think it's interesting oh you know what here i'm gonna bring uh jermaine wiggins in wiggy's here on the line with us as well wiggy what's up buddy what's going on hey how's everything sorry i uh, got caught up in a little situation <laughs> no worries you're on the line here with myself and and nick ferguson so nick and i are just talking about sort of the venue, as much as anything, you you know this how 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 Patriots fans sort of wring their hands about having to go out to Denver. Nick here played in Denver for years and years. Uh, just off the top of your head, Nick, do you, do you do you consider it a place where it is a positive factor for you, or is it you know like any other venue, it's just going to be hot because it's a playoff game, or is there something to have to go out there and play in the elevation? Well, I think when you talk about playing in elevation, it is very uh, very key. That's why. You know, they put that sign right out uh, outside the locker room of the oppositions. So, you know, once you walk out and you come back, you're playing with that that level of elevation. And to me, I haven't really seen the Broncos really utilize that to their strength uh, this season. Because for me, I'm like, I would go hurry up, no huddle, and put that that, that stress on an opposing defense, but they haven't done it. So I'm looking forward to see if they're going to do it this game. But to play in the venue like um, Mile High Sports Authority Field, it is a great place to play. And I know the Patriots and Tom Brady haven't had as much success in that particular building. But anytime you're facing 
uh, Patriots team. It's always going to be a rocking atmosphere, and the fans are excited. I mean, this is this is great for for NFL football. The fact that you have these two guys, and what could be arguably the last time we see this matchup. So, to me, I think everyone should definitely look at this uh, matchup between these two quarterbacks, embrace it, DVR, do whatever you can, because this is the last time we're going to see these two quarterbacks actually uh, face off against one another. Uh, Wiggy, we all know that you know you you've got a storied history here with the New England Patriots, but you also got to play in a Super Bowl with the uh, with the Carolina Panthers, so you actually know that venue pretty well yourself. I'm of the mind you haven't played there a handful of times, some big games in Carolina. That Bank of America Field is actually, I think, one of the more underrated players places as far as 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 loud as it gets, the way it's all dressed in teal, the way the place shakes a little bit when they get some momentum. I mean, you could even see it through the broadcast cameras a week ago with, uh, you know, and they they blew out to that huge lead the first half against the Seahawks and the place was rocking. What, what's your experience there, Wiggy, in Carolina? And, you know, is it a place that should be considered more of the formable kind of road venues in the NFL? Well, I think so. I mean, you you, you got to understand, both of you guys are defensive players, so it really doesn't matter where you play because crowd noise is not really right, an right, issue right. when you're when you're, when you're when you're a defensive player. When you're an offensive player, you know the crowd noise plays a huge factor. You know, if you're a team that likes to use a lot of audibles, or if you like to maybe use the snap count, um, and then if you're playing on the road, or say if you're playing in the Carolina, where you got some guys that can get after the quarterback, and if you're an offensive player, they can they can kind of cheat that snap count a little bit, and it's difficult on passing situations. Um, so to play on the road uh, for an offensive player, it, it, it is very difficult. That's why it's so important when you are playing, a, say, against a key team like Carolina or if you're playing in a place like Carolina or even if you're playing in a place like Denver as an offensive player, it's so important to stop fast and kind of take that crowd out of the game to where now right. you, know, you might not have a lot of changes in audibles and this kind of thing, but you can now not have to worry about the snap count, not giving the defenders the opportunity to know that, hey, everything's got to be on one because as an offensive player, you can barely hear. So I think it, it, it is critical in the sense more so from the offensive player standpoint, but from the defensive player standpoint, it's a little bit easier because you don't really have to deal with the crowd noise. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Wig. I, I beg to differ. I, I beg to differ because in, in this case, the Patriots would say the Patriots are going to see Denver. For their defense, it bodes well for them because the crowd is not going to make a lot of noise because they want to have Peyton Manning where he can execute and the guys can hear all the checks. But what's difficult, and we've seen it, you know, last week when Pittsburgh came to Denver, the mm-hmm. defense struggled as far as communication because you talk about a defense that predominantly played a bunch of man coverage throughout the season. Now they were forced to play a little bit of zone trying to force Ben into some tough situations. And when you don't have communication there you know the crowd is going to be loud, that doesn't play to to the defense. It makes it that much difficult. But in, in that well, I, I, aspect I, I, of it, it's a little different. Right. I think it makes it a little difficult for the home team because they're going to be louder when the the opposing team is on the I, – I agree with that. But you also know as the home team that hand signals become more important uh, uh, for the defense because when the opposing offense is going to be out there, you're going to have to deal with some crowd noise. So I, I right. think there is that to play, and so you try to simplify things a little bit. But from an offensive standpoint, you know, I think uh, it's just especially with a Patriots offense where there is so much communication. Um, you know, uh, uh, say a team like, um, you know, a team like Carolina where they don't use a lot of uh, uh, 
uh, uh, audibles, and it's very it's it's very simplified. The offense you don't have to really concern yourself. Hey, we come up, we run a play, we line up, and that's generally what it is. We might have one check off of it, but with a Patriots offense, they like to use multiple checks. They like to change things up at the line of scrimmage. So it, it is very difficult, um, you know, when you have to deal with the crowd noise. And, and you do make a good point, uh, Nick, as far as the defense, you know, the home defense having to deal with it. But if you have some time to prepare with hand signals and, and, and maybe simplifying some of the coverages or blitzes so you can't, you won't have communication problems. Well, so I wanted to dive into some of the more sort of specific matchups we're going to see in each of these two games. We'll start on the AFC side since we both know these teams, two teams pretty well. Uh, and Nick, you kind of touched on it. It was something that was a little bit surprising to me to see the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I'm thinking more here, Pittsburgh Steelers defense, the approach they took a bit against Peyton Manning. And I wrote it on this. I wrote it, wrote on that topic this week for football by football. And it was something that kind of struck me as odd to see Pittsburgh play so much sort of soft zone where they would you, you, basically I went back through the the 21 completions that Peyton Manning had and the vast majority of them were hooks and sits and curls short crossers uh the occasional out route but in the low flats never anything sort of in the intermediate area up the field he had two long-ish balls one was the one where he fell down and got back up and again even that's debatably long it's only maybe a 20-yard throw uh, and then another, another one a little later in the fourth quarter. But by and large, it was, I felt like, almost conceded passes. Not not that they're letting them catch it, but that they're they're saying we're going to be a little lighter, lower, and play on top of everything. So I, I, do you think uh, that's a good approach against Peyton Manning? I st- he still has, you know, they weren't able to score a touchdown, but he's relatively efficient as well. Or do you expect something entirely different from New England? Well, see, I look at it from this standpoint with everyone talking about Peyton Manning liking the arm strength and he can push the ball down the field vertically. The idea is to, you know, back off, let the receivers catch things in front of you, rally up and tackle because we know he was going to go to those short short routes. And when you talk about playing, trying to play in a lot of man-to-man coverage, you know, a lot of teams like to get in. And what knows this? They get in those bunch formations and those picks and those revs, and you don't want to have to worry about that. So we say, listen, get in our zone package, force him try to beat us by trying to push the ball down the field, and maybe we can force him into a mistake because we know that Peyton Manning, with the lack of arm strength, as everyone's talking about, can't really go 90 yards down the field dinking and dunking. So they were hoping that at some point he would make a mistake. It wasn't one one of those dentist Peyton Manning games, but I'll say this, he didn't make any mistakes. It wasn't Peyton Manning, you know, right. November 15th against the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think that's the mindset. And that, I think that might be the approach from Bill Belichick as well. Wiggy, what do you think? I mean, we've been watching this team throughout the year. Mm-hmm. We've seen them go pretty hardcore man coverage with, you know, not feeling comfortable putting Logan Ryan on Demarius Thomas, feeling comfortable putting uh, Butler just about on anyone. Do you expect them to play a little more aggressive man scheme or if they take the Steelers' approach and kind of let him have the bunnies? Well, I, I think what they do is they probably take the approach that they took um, in week 12 when they played Denver. I mean, for the most part, you know, they were able to to neutralize some of that passing game until late in the game. I mean, remember at one point it was, what, 21-7 um, in the fourth quarter before the muff, uh, the muff punt. Muff so punt, I think, yeah. you know, you, you, yeah, I think you take a little bit of 
what you did from week one. I mean, not week one, excuse me, week 12. And then I take you maybe take the approach a little bit from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers where you say, okay, maybe, you know, because of the lack of his arm strength, if we play a lot of man coverage, like Nick said, you know, what's good against man coverage? You get some of those crossing routes, and, and it becomes an easy throw for Peyton Manning because now all he has to do is hit a crosser coming across the field. You play zone coverages, you give up some of those plays, and now all you have to do is come up, make the tackle, and try to put him in a situation where it's third and five, third and six, and maybe third and long, and now you can maybe put some man coverages on that end. But on your early downs, maybe you play a little soft zone and see what you can do. But, you know, I think when you look at the Patriots defense versus uh, Pittsburgh Steelers defense, I would say that the Patriots secondary is much better than what uh, Pittsburgh was able to put on the field. So I could see them challenging Denver a little bit, putting, you know, putting Butler up there, putting Logan Ryan up there and saying, hey, we're going to be physical. We're going to make Peyton have to throw the ball outside the numbers. We're not going to give him some of those um, those those comeback routes or some of those curl routes that we've seen Pittsburgh give. And they're going to say, hey, you're going to have to take a few shots outside the numbers. And when he does, if you're New England, you've got to be able to maybe capitalize or be able to you know, get your hands on some balls and come away with an interception or two. Well, one of the things, and I think, obviously, Nick, you're going to be more in tune on the, the Broncos than Wiggy or I, but it's something just passively that I've noticed throughout the year that it seemed to me that some of their best weeks, uh, even when it was Osweiler driving the bus, Manning as well, but I always looked at them, and I guess even going back to the November game against the Patriots, where the thing that scared me about them the most, if if you're sort of coming from that Patriots point of view, is that they get that rolling, their the running game rolling. You know, I think people sometimes overlook C.J. Anderson. He's a he's a young dude. He's like 24 years old, something like that, 23, 24, 25, somewhere in that range. Still, I think has a ton of upside. Make some plays. Occasionally, they'll get Hillman going as well. You don't always know which of the two it's going to be, but I'm of kind of of the opinion that it, this is one of the few times I've ever looked at a Peyton Manning led offense and thought, you know, Peyton Manning beat me with his arm might not be the first priority. It might be, man, we need to, we need to rack this running game up or, or we have other issues and then Peyton can, you know, open things up on us. But how do you sort of, uh, how do you look at the, the Denver Broncos running game and are they a legitimate threat? I think if you ask the Patriots, absolutely. All you have to do uh, Matt, is go back to the last time these guys met and Brock Oswald was on the center. When the Broncos got into that bunch, bunch formation and Brock saw something at the line of scrimmage and which gave him an option to run that tough pitch, get outside to C.J. Anderson. And when I went back and watched that play, I thought the play, Patriots defense did not play that particular play well. Malcolm Butler was off the ball who can actually look inside to the offensive line and see the play as it started to develop. He was slow to react, which allowed him to get blocked, allow T.J. Anderson to take the corner, and then that kind of run down uh, the sideline in overtime to kind of give the Broncos the victory. So, you know, C.J. Anderson and Ronnie Hillman, two different type of backs. One's a power back, one's a slasher back. And to me, if you don't stop those guys early on and just kind of force Peyton Manning, like we said, force him to try to push the ball outside the numbers, it can be a long day for the, the Patriots. And I, I know it's hard to even fathom that, but to me, the Broncos have been searching for their run game the entire season. It hasn't been there, and it comes in spurts. But this is a game that they know that they go in with some confidence. Like I said, you have 18. You know that you can run the ball on the Patriots, but it's can you do it consistently. That, that's the thing that's in question. Now, Wiggy, we both know this, and uh, it's something that it, we're sort of been on medical watch all year with the New England Patriots and, and you, 
this particular week matters as, as Nick touches on that they've had run success against the Patriots in the past, but they had it without both Jamie Collins and, and Dante Hightower in the second half of that game. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the importance of getting those guys back and involved and healthy for a full 60 minutes to actually stopping this, this running game that the Broncos have? Well, well, yeah, I, I think that's super. I think that's the most critical because uh, I would I would agree with Nick. When you look at the Denver Broncos, they want to run the football, and if you allow them to run the football, especially you allow them to get that cutback run, which they they do so well, you allow that. Um, the Denver Broncos they can be tough and they can win the game because they'll be able to control the clock. They'll be able to control the ball. The biggest thing for the Patriots is you know they're gonna have high tower out there. We don't really know what the situation is with Jamie Collins yet, and you know, um, right, right. at least I don't, I don't know. But, you know, you want to make sure you have Hightower out there. You want to really make sure, Matt, you probably know better than anybody else because you played the position, is the gap discipline of uh, the linebacker, especially play side and front side, because of the way Denver likes to run the football. They love that backside cut. And it's super important. And, you know, you have a guy like Jamie Collins that has that ability. But guys like Chandler Jones, Rob Minkovich, to make sure you're really closing the space so C.J. Anderson or Hillman can't cut back because you look at some of the big plays, that's where the Denver Broncos, especially this Gary Kubiak offense, they like to stretch things and cut things back. So you have to do a good job of that, uh, of making sure you're closing down that hole and you don't allow them to cut the defense in half. So when you have a guy like Hightower who's a pretty good run stuffer and can kind of clog up the middle, it's going to be super important that if Jamie Collins does play, he he makes sure that, you know, hey, I'm not going to allow them to come backside. And Chandler Jones and Minkovich, they're going to be crucial in this game as well. Well, and Nick made a, made a good point. It, we're, we're sort of talking about two things here for, for fans that are out here that don't have a football background that are hearing what we're talking about. So Wiggy's talking a lot about sort of the zone stretch stuff that the Kubiak stuff can get you. Like it gets you running in one direction and they kill you on the backside. So, you know, it's that one back, back cut that'll get hit back behind center or you don't have the gap integrity. You don't lose, you lose at the point of attack or somebody on the backside overruns and they hit you with that cutback. Nick was talking about this, this trips bunch formation type stuff where they were coming at the edge. And I agree with Nick. It was something that was a big problem that week where they had problems with their fits from the secondary. And Nick would know this as much as a safety, as much as any of us, but you, when you have those trip sets, the add-in from the from the back end is critical. You know, they're really it, it's it it depends from team to team and call to call how you actually play the edge with the outside linebacker or defensive end with a bunch. Sometimes it's replace force. In other words, the force player becomes either the corner or the safety because you don't want your your defensive end or linebacker lining way outside the bunch because then it creates a, a hole on the inside. But yeah, I do think the scheme runs and how they decide to sort of answer those questions and if they play them well and kind of as Wiggy touched on, if if it ends up being you know a, a a Freeney or one of the Bostic or one of these other linebackers has to fill in because you're not getting Collins. Are they tuned in enough but against what can be a little bit of a, a confusing run scheme? Okay, for time purposes, guys, we got to roll on to the other game. So let's talk a little bit here about Carolina and the Arizona Cardinals. I've been a big advocate of Carolina throughout the year. Uh, Nick, I'll, we'll start with you. Is there a particular key to the game thing you're going to be looking at uh, extra close here in this particular contest? Well, you know, for me, it, it's – the player quarterback. And I know that sounds really simple considering the fact that two quarterbacks are playing in this game. He, Carson Palmer has had an MVP season up to this point. You go back to the game against uh, Green Bay, I don't know if it was nerves. He was trying to 
won his first game, uh, first playoff win, and maybe that was on his mind. But he didn't play his best football. So he has to go out there and he has to play a better game against the Carolina Panthers. And if we know anything from watching Seattle kind of just fall apart in that first half, you cannot turn the ball over against this team, especially this defense. They can quickly turn a turnover into six points, and you don't want to give Cam Newton that much breathing room. You want to keep the pressure on Cam Newton because here's what I do know. Watching this Carolina Panthers team all season long, yes, they score a lot of points. They have great defense that are aggressive and they play sideline to sideline. But the problem is, is they don't play in the second half. They figure as though we're going to get enough <laughs> points in the first half and then maybe we can kind of cruise. And if, if you are Arizona, you are hopeful that if you happen to turn the ball over, there is hope. You just have to execute because Seattle scored 24 unanswered points. Carolina scored no points in the second half of that game. So Cam, Cam Newton wasn't his jovial self. You can tell in his post-game interview. He wasn't happy about his overall right. performance. But to me, that tells you you can put pressure on this quarterback. Well, one of the things I looked at in studying that game, and actually Brady Papinga uh, on our website on, 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 FB, on FBF wrote a really good column. Kind of he and, and Brady was actually at the game working for Fox Deporte, so he, he was calling the game and was struck by sort of the story that started and and people stuck with it and I think I don't think it's inaccurate because the Panthers came off as very air quotes conservative in the second half the thing that I think is a little bit surprising that Brady's column made me go back and check was you know what they were really conservative in the first half as well and I think that's one of the sort of conundrums you get into with the Carolina Panthers they run a really basic offense with unique backfield formations and unique motions and stuff but it's power you know and 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 a little bit of read option and and a relatively basic pass scheme where Cam's just your playmaker you know chucking the ball to Greg Olson as often as possible getting these downhill runs with turban blocking for for Jonathan Stewart and you know basic stuff and the point is I think a, people, a lot of people saw some of those plays that got stuffed in the second half and said wow that's that's conservative like they they got to keep the foot on the gas well the gas for them are those plays it, it, I think what's happened to them a lot during the season is the second half comes around and you see all these basic plays over and over again and sometimes defenses get used to picking them up you know they start to figure it out so I, I do think they're a team that can be in a tough spot if they get down a touchdown or two but you know they've been so good and so consistent early that they don't usually have to come back from that spot so I'll turn it you to, to you here Wiggy I, I, I'm interested in your point of view here with Greg Olson because man that's he's we're in this market here and we understand how good Gronk is, and he's really head and shoulders against pretty much everyone at that position. But I, I, this guy's close. You know, Greg Olson is one of the really special players. I don't think he's quite the inline blocker that Gronk is, but he is a willing guy. Can you talk a little bit about the importance and how, I guess, from a former tight end's point of view, how how tough it is the job he does and how well he does it? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing to kind of maybe just ex- expand a little bit on the question that you asked uh, Nick in what you expect, and this kind of plays into the Greg Olson. To me, I think it's about the running game. We know Carolina likes to run the football, and if Arizona can get their running game going, it it gives them ability to be able to put Carson Palmer in a a position where he doesn't have to throw the game on his shoulders. But if you're Carolina, it's super important that you get that running game going because that's going to create the space that a guy like Greg Olson needs because when you look at Carolina and what they do well – a lot, of that, a lot of those passes come off of, or, or Greg Olson's big plays come off some of that read option fake 
because linebackers have to now suck up. And he already is a, a matchup nightmare because he's a very good athlete. Uh, he's a big target. So the running game is important for Greg Olson because when you get the running game going, that means a lot of play action, and that means you have an opportunity to take advantage uh, uh, of some big plays. So it's going to be interesting. In, in my opinion, I think the team that can come out and run the ball and establish the run and run it consistently, if you're, if you're um, Arizona defensively, you want to take away that run game and put Cam Newton in a position where he has to now throw the football, something that he doesn't you know, like to do, particularly in situations where it's not off of play action. You know, make Cam Newton a pocket passer rather than making him uh, more of an athletic passer come, or where his passes are coming off maybe movements or that kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see which one of these teams can really establish the run and win running the football because I think the team that does that is probably going to have the best chance of winning the football game. I think it's a really interesting point because the Johnson kid uh, from you and I, a rookie down there in Arizona, has actually had a really nice year, and but didn't play so well against the Packers. Had a decent amount of carries and not a ton of yards, and running game wasn't a big factor for them. And as as Nick mentioned earlier, you didn't get your your prototypical sort of performance from Carson Palmer through some a red zone pick was looked a little ragged at times. But yeah, I would definitely agree that as much as we talk about passing league, I'm starting to look at really all four of the entrants in this championship week. And other than the Patriots, the other three really need to run the football. Uh, that's just, <laughs> right. it's just the oddball way that the Patriots do it. I don't get an 80, 20 run to, or pass to run split. It's, it's insane. But the one thing I'll, I want to send back to Nick, cause I think it's interesting having a strong safety here on the, uh, a guy that's played on the back end on the conversation. One of the things that Arizona does a lot uh, that, I love, but I also understand there's kind of a risk element to it. They love to to spin the dial a little bit with the blitzes. They'll they'll come and add in guys from oddball places. I'm wondering how that could help them or could potentially hurt them against Carolina in the event that you guess wrong, you know, on the point of attack. You said you overload a blitz to the backside, that ain't where they're running or something along those lines. Just a little insight of a guy that's been on the back end that's had to come down and blitz. How does that kind of approach work against teams that are real heavy scheme run late? I think, you know, we uh, just, you know, touched on is being able to stop that run because if you allow Carolina to get going with Jonathan Stewart or even uh, Cam Newton with those repass options, now that gives you something else that you have to really think about. And if you can't stop those plays, now that opens up the play action. And what he talked about with Greg Olson getting down the seam, now those linebackers are stepping up and you get that tight end behind them so now you can't come with those elaborate blisses as though you were doing maybe early on in the season but it does help you because you have to take calculated risk in games and you have to do things off schedule because most times defensive coordinators like to bring pressure on third down sometimes you may have to mix it up bring it on first down you know, maybe not right. in this series, but the next possession, just to kind of mix it up, make make that offensive coordinator, you know, Shuler, really think about how he's going to block it, what what plays he's going to call. Can Cam get those inside runs as he likes to? And can they run that, that run-pass option with him faking it and maybe sometimes pulling it down? You, you want to keep your opposition constantly guessing. And to me, when you look at the fact that you have Calais Campbell and Dwight Freeney, those two guys give you the luxury of being able to do it where you don't have to always add on a guy maybe at that second level. So you need your, your front seven, but more importantly, your interior to play well to take that away. And then now you can add in those extra uh, elaborate uh, blitzes, as they so call it. 
All righty. Well, that's unfortunately all the time we have today, guys. Awesome insight. Uh, enjoyed doing this. I know Wiggy and I get to still talk some more Patriots throughout the week. Just as sort of a parting shot, do you have sort of a, a gut, you know, one of your children on the line kind of feeling, Nick, for which way both of these two games are going to go? <laughs> Well, I'll say I'll start with the Carolina-Arizona game. Because of everything that I've stated right now, Carson Palmer plays a, a clean game, and Calais Campbell and Dwight Freeney have big games. I think Arizona can clearly win this game because uh, if you eliminate the explosive plays from Cam Newton, now you have him exactly where you want him, you want him to try to beat you from, from the pocket instead of with his legs. The Denver Patriots game, to me, fellas, is kind of a toss-up. Uh, both teams are banged up coming into the game. One has a running game, a decent one. The other doesn't, has to rely on the pass. So I think it's going to be a great game, but I still so I give the slight edge uh, to the Patriots. How about you, Wiggy? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go. I, I like Carolina. I think, you know, this has been the year they played well. Um, you know, when you look at both of the quarterbacks <laughs> and Carson Palmer, even though Carson has been in the league a long time, Neither one of them have right. a lot of playoff experience. Um, and to me, I just like Carolina, their ability to run the football, their defense. So I got to go with Carolina. And the Pats game with Denver, I think, you know, people say, well, the Pats haven't had success in Denver. When you look at uh, Week 12, you didn't have Julian Edelman. You didn't have uh, Danny Amendola. You didn't have uh, uh, Jamie Collins. There's a, there's a really good chance that you're going to have Jamie Collins. You know you're going to have Amadol. You know you're going to have Edelman. I just think that offensively the Pats have their weapons back. Too much offense in Denver. Peyton Manning in there. Unless they're running the football, they're going to struggle. We saw it last week. They were only able to put up basically 12 points um, in the first 55 minutes of the game. If the uh, running back from Pittsburgh doesn't fumble, there's a chance they never even get an opportunity to, to score that touchdown. So I like New England. All righty, guys. I'll go short and sweet. I'll go New England and the Panthers. Enjoy your weekend. Take care, guys. Awesome insight. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you. All right. Take care. And that's all we've got for this show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from all of our writers at the FBF crew, make sure you check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at FBBYF. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.